0: The Onyx One Month DAPT program evaluated Resolute Onyx DES in about 1,700 complex high and risk patients with one month DAPT. Visit Medtronic.com backslash Onyx One program to see the data. Resolute Onyx DES is not currently indicated for high bleeding risk patients on one month DAPT in the United States.
1: You're listening to Heart Sounds, TCTMD's award-winning podcast, this month guest host by Caitlin Cox.
0: Hello and welcome to Heart Sounds for July 2020. It's my pleasure to guest host this month's episode in the heat of summer from my home base in Atlanta. You might imagine my studio, me wearing fancy headphones as I sit comfortably at a booth wearing office casual. Much like the rest of the world, though, it's more DIY. I speak to you from the shade of my bedroom closet. We're all continuing to cope. Healthcare professionals in hard hit areas of the pandemic are seeing their surges wane while others are facing down COVID's arrival. For our editorial team too, it's been a whirlwind. Todd Neal especially deserves credit for cataloging TCTMD's Daily Dispatch on all the news and research related to COVID-19. All of us have learned so much and no doubt will continue to do so. But this month, I'm gonna take a pause on COVID content in our podcast. Instead, I'd like to refocus on the basics of clinical practice, why you love to do what you do, Care for patients. Amid all our coverage of the pandemic, we've continued to bring you stories that speak to the day to day. Here are some of my recent favorites. Speaking of Todd, he covered a JAC paper that showed if patients with ACS develop bleeding after hospital discharge, they're at higher risk of dying no matter whether they were or weren't initially treated with PCI. To reach this conclusion, researchers pooled data from four randomized clinical trials. He spoke with Sunil Rao of Duke Clinical Research Institute in Durham, North Carolina, for an outside perspective on what the analysis adds. In short, Rao said, it pulls together our knowledge about bleeding mortality in ACS patients into one very nice package. Even though the underlying mechanisms for this link are unclear, physicians need to decide how to manage antithrombotic therapy in their ACS patients on a daily basis, Rao advised. Here's what he had to say.
1: This balance between reducing ischemia and reducing bleeding is something that is inherent to antithrombotic therapy. And we've not been able to find strategies that are going to minimize both recurrent MI and recurrent bleeding or or bleeding in general. And so it really becomes a clinical decision uh, when you're interacting with the individual patient. There are risk scores that are available. So for example, the DAPT score that Babier developed, again, that was developed in the setting of PCI and really specifically related to dual antiplatelet therapy for patients who've undergone PCI. If you can remember patients who uh, suffer an acute MI also require dual antiplatelet therapy. Um, So those kinds of bleeding scores can certainly help. I think what's probably more important is to make sure that um, you counsel the patient that this is a risk and that if they were to develop any kind of bleeding complications that they're worried about, they need to communicate with their uh, physicians so that they can understand whether they should continue that therapy or if they should stop. And if the therapy is to be stopped, then I think it's important for um, physicians to follow their patients to make sure that they're restarted on that therapy once the bleeding event uh, is resolved.
0: Another story with common-sense advice was Yael Maxwell's piece on the powers of smoking cessation. Numbers from the Young MI Registry published in JAMA Network Open show that slightly more than half of MI patients aged 50 or younger are smokers, and about two-thirds of those don't quit after their event. Quinn Pack, a cardiologist at Bay State Health in Springfield, Massachusetts, told Yael why it's important to seize the moment and encourage patients to quit.
1: Compared to most other therapies, in cardiology, this one just takes the cake. Mm-hmm. There, there really isn't anything that is a, a more potent intervention than helping somebody quit smoking. Uh, a, a statin isn't this potent. Cardiac rehab isn't this potent. Bypass surgery is far from this potent. Bypass surgery is actually quite weak uh, relative to what we're talking about here. Same thing with stents, ACE inhibitors, beta blockers. Uh, help one person quit smoking, and you could probably do five bypass surgeries for the same effect.
0: Next up is Michael LaRiordan's story on the benefits, or lack thereof, of statins in the healthy elderly. Patients aged 70 or above who took statins in the ESPRIT trial had no gain in disability-free survival at a median follow-up of 4.7 years, However, as outlined in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, they did glean a 25% relative risk reduction in persistent physical disability, as well as a 32% lower risk of major cardiovascular events. Anne-Marie Navarre of Duke Clinical Research Institute commented on these results for TCTMD. The lack of a survival benefit in these healthy older adults isn't particularly surprising, she said, given the relatively short follow-up period. And many therapies are taken not just with the goal of living longer, but also to avoid disease and disability. So what should inform the choice to start statins? Here's what she told Mike.
2: What's their overall risk of heart disease? Okay. We
0: know that statins
2: lower heart disease risk almost irrespective of starting LDL. Mm-hmm. The benefit of statins is proportional to how much they lower LDL. So. If somebody has established heart disease or a bunch of risk factors for heart disease, that's really the trigger for me to offer treatment. Mm -hmm. Now, in this population, the other thing that's important to look at is overall life expectancy and the patient priorities. Now, really that's probably, I mean, that's that's important across all the age spectrum, but particularly in older adults, there's a lot of heterogeneity. There are some 70-year-olds that I see in clinics that are likely to live 20 years,
3: um,
2: those patients are very different than the ones who may only have a three to five year life expectancy. And so the aggressiveness of prevention that I offer patients, um, usually takes into account, you know, how long I expect them to be able to
4: survive.
0: Laura McEwen covered an eye-opening study this month that shows how race and gender bias can sway decisions in advanced heart failure care. It was published in JAMA Network Open. Researchers led by Khadija Brethet, who's based at the University of Arizona in Tucson, conducted, quote, think aloud interviews of 46 physicians at a recent medical meeting. Their goal was to see how these physicians made decisions based on clinical vignettes that contained a fictional patient history and photo. These conversations were revealing In deciding whether to recommend heart transplant versus bridge to transplant, some physicians appear to focus on inappropriate and irrelevant criteria for women in general and for black women in particular. They voiced critiques over things like what they saw as unkempt appearance or too many children. What's even more surprising, though, is that 52% of the study participants were women and 43% were minorities. This is evidence of how bias can creep in, Brethet explained.
4: What are people actually saying is the problem? What are they? How are they identifying? Um, how they make these decisions? And sometimes they may not even be aware. As I think of this study, I doubt people intentionally knew that they were illustrating bias towards mm-hmm. women or bias towards African American women. I think that most of the people that participated in the study. Um, Good intentions mm-hmm. and um, want the best for their patients just internal bias that you may not be aware of pops mm-hmm. out in yeah. strange places and this is a critical area where we're, we're talking about um, life and death types of therapies and there's no room for bias to enter and I think this shows that We have a broken system, and caring about our patients as we do, we must take the next structural steps to change the system. Mm -hmm.
0: And finally, I have some exciting news of my own to share. My investigative report on outpatient peripheral interventions has won this year's National Institute of Healthcare Management Trade Journalism Award. Sadly, there's no in-person ceremony to celebrate this year. But on the upside, this means I got to video an acceptance speech, and I got a trophy, my very first. On a more serious note, I hope this recognition will bring focus on the need for thoughtful growth as procedures move beyond the hospital setting. And I hope it will honor the memory of Miriam Derrico, the woman whose story inspired me to keep digging. I couldn't have done it without the support of TCTMD's managing editor, Shelley Wood, who patiently waited through many months of reporting, it was crucial in shaping the final piece. It was a lot of work. Encouragement from everyone on our news team kept me afloat too. For a bit of background, Shelley interviewed me about why I pursued the story that caught Nickham's eye.
3: Hello, Caitlin. Congratulations on winning this award. We're all really excited for you, really proud.
0: Thank you so much. This is so much fun. I'm loving we can talk about this on a podcast and not just person to person.
3: Yeah. And in fact, on the podcast, I don't know, probably, I think it was actually the end of year podcast last year.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: We uh, talked about you know, what you thought was sort of your, your favorite story of the year. And we talked about this story at that time. Uh, but it's all the more different now, just that you've had this recognition for people that haven't read it yet, they just need to search the term peripheral vision on TCTMD. But for a bit of a teaser, why don't you remind our listeners what this story was about? First of all, when did you first start working on it? Um this is a long-term project.
0: Yeah, it it took a couple of years, honestly. So around I don't know, spring of 2018, I started hearing stories from physicians in Florida about a doctor's office that had opened up in their area that they were concerned about because they thought There were unnecessary procedures and complications happening, um, and that this office wasn't that tightly linked to the local medical community. It took me six months to build up their trust uh, and hear more. And really, this story is about that small picture, but also about the bigger picture of peripheral interventions moving out of the hospital setting to outpatient offices like office based labs, ambulatory surgical centers, and the like. Um, And a lot of this has been. Inspired by reimbursement. And so, my story looked at what can be done to make sure that physicians uh, have the resources they need and are able to maintain quality and that patients get the most out of it too. Because, really, it can benefit a lot of people, it can benefit patients, physicians, insurers, but it has to be done the right way. And it's really in its infancy oversight in this area.
3: Yeah, you and I talked about this so much when you're working on the story because the reality is, is that a large proportion of TCTMD's audience does these procedures or similar ones. Um, And we're not in any way suggesting that this is not valuable to the patients who receive the the procedures or to the physicians that are doing them. But surely everybody would want them to be done safely and to be done in in an appropriate fashion. Um, So as you say, there's, there's good reasons that these have moved out of hospitals. But as you point out, there's not a ton of oversight and that's really what your story uncovered. And um, for those who haven't read it, there's definitely a sort of very focused aspect of this story, focused on certain behaviors in a a specific part of Florida. But as the people you spoke with um, were quick to point out, this is really something that should be under consideration by physicians across the U.S.
0: For sure. And, you know, one of the things that I discovered was that There are already a lot of people working hard on this and starting up registries and holding annual meetings to talk about best practices, but everything's voluntary. Uh, And so, you know, I talk to people who are leaders in this area and have these wonderful engaging conversations, and they were frustrated because they didn't really know how to move things forward. And all of this is becoming even more relevant because as of 2020, Medicare is now reimbursing not just for cardiovascular diagnostic procedures, uh, but also coronary interventions like angioplasty and stenting outside of the hospital. And so there's an expectation that those procedures will also start to expand and um, perhaps be done in new settings where there's less of an eye towards quality.
3: Yeah. And that will tie in then that people are maybe unfamiliar with this particular award, which is the National Institute of Healthcare Management's Trade Journalism Award. Dear to my heart, because let me just chime in to mention (laughs) Nobody can do this, but I, I myself won this uh, award years ago, which is obviously when it was on my radar, and it's specifically focused on delivery of healthcare and the sort of function of healthcare, not just sort of scientific discoveries or clinical trials and that type of thing. So that's what this award honors: is is journalism that is looking at how care is done well. So what do you hope might happen as a result of your piece actually winning this award, an award that's particularly focused on the delivery of healthcare? Uh, Do you think some good can come of that?
0: I hope so. You know, it's it's funny because now everybody is so caught up in COVID-19, and rightfully so, that I'd grown a little skeptical that my story would have any local impact in Florida. I mean, maybe it still will. But what I really hope to see is that insurers... Both the US government and private insurers become more aware uh, that there are certain ways that people seem to be possibly be gaming the system. It would be amazing if this led to local changes. I understand this isn't just a Florida issue, of course, it's many areas across the country. Most importantly, I I hope it gives encouragement to the clinicians who've been working very hard to bring their colleagues together and think about these issues. Uh, And I hope it encourages more participation.
3: Yeah, because as you were saying earlier, this is um, it's the people who are interested in this subject that are making the right kind of changes. And it's the ones who perhaps are more interested in the financial bottom line, or perhaps just trying to treat as many people as possible that maybe aren't um, having the buy-in with some of the quality improvement initiatives. So that's my hope too, that an award like this would bring fresh eyes on a topic that's sure, it's happening in a small corner of cardiovascular care, but definitely has broader implications. Um, well, of course, I'd love to keep chatting about this with you because <laughs> it was just such a big part of um, what we were doing on TCTMD for so long. But um, congratulations yes. again, Caitlin. And I look forward to working on more stories like this with you in the years to
0: come. Me too. Me too. It was quite a team effort. And I really appreciate your patience with it. That's it for the July 2020 Heart Sounds. Thank you for listening. I do hope you'll check out the full range of stories on our site. We'll continue to offer you updated and curated information via our COVID-19 hub, as well as the usual cardiovascular news. And thanks also to Daniel Parker, who produces this podcast each month. TCTMD's digital team continues to amaze me with their video and audio content. For example, if you haven't yet, check out The Good News Is, which is hosted by Ajay Kurtney. Stay safe. Get as much summer sun as is prudent and hang in there. Shelley will be back as your host in August.
1: Do you love listening to Heart Sounds? Check out all, all new original content from TCTMD featuring Talking Points with Dr. C. Michael Gibson and Roxart Radio with Dr. Roxanne and Moran. All new episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud.